Broadcasting live from the offices of policebackground.net. This is the Police Applicant Podcast with your host, Ken Royball. Hey, welcome everybody to another episode of the Police Applicant Podcast. This is episode number 60. Amazingly, episode 60, we're in season three. And joining me today... God, you know, it's Sunday. We are blessed. Donovan Heavener is here with us uh, as co-hosting. Donovan, what's up, man? Yeah, nothing, nothing. Thanks for having me. I I got to say, I kind of like it when Minerva can't be here so I can sit in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Minerva had something going on. And our guest today, um, we had to accommodate because uh, she's got a schedule that uh, kind of fluctuates a little bit. So we kind of we kind of moved with it. And then Donovan is here taking Minerva's play. Actually, actually, I have to say that we've already decided Donovan is a full-on co-host. And so um, so you're not taking Minerva's place. You're here doing your, you know, your co-hosting gig. Um, oh, excellent. I want to I want to talk about a, just a couple of things before we get started. Um, let me get to my stats. I put out a a, a a kind of a special episode last this last week about some issues. One of them was um, was uh, should we advertise on the podcast or not? Now, you can go to the episode before that and kind of listen. I think it's what was it like? Not even ten minutes. I, I talk about a few things. Yeah. One of them was advertising. And I did listen to one of the advertisements. It's a general for Spotify. But the cool thing, Donovan, is that Spotify contacted me, and apparently we've hit a threshold in our listens, and so they wanted to advertise on the podcast. And so you have to get, like, uh, I think 100 million listens, and then they'll give you, like, 3 $4, something like that. So um, – there's a there's a um, a survey in the last episode of the show notes. It's for a survey to go and say, hey, should we advertise? And so if people go to that, that'd be cool. Um, other than that, I think we should get started with our guest. Our guest today is M. And M, I want to give a shout out to all of our Canadian listeners because there has been more than one Canadian applicant that has said, hey, can we have a Canadian officer on the show? And I said, absolutely. So I got a hold of my friend, uh, Steve Gould at Things Police Podcast, and got us a real-life Canadian police officer. Uh, and so I want to welcome Em to the program. And, uh, gee, it's really cool. We've been wanting to do this for a long time, Em. And so having you here is a really special treat for us. So thank you for being here. I am super happy to be here. I love talking police stuff. I love talking police stuff, especially since I don't have to do it in 2023. It's <laughs> difficult. But one of the things that was interesting to us is uh, I want to get into in a, in a second with uh, about you, how you got into police work, who you are, all that kind of stuff. And we're just going to kind of leave it at um, that you are a Canadian police officer and we'll just, uh, we'll just leave it at that. But um, one of the things is that in in the U, in the U.S. right now? I'm sure you guys hear about the U.S. all the time and all the issues that we have going on. And I want to say, to a certain extent, Canadian police kind of mirror that. And so, some of the things I want to talk to you about are, are what is Canadian policing the same as uh, as U.S. policing to a certain extent? I also want to find out. Uh, you guys also. Um, 
I think uh, maybe within the last couple of weeks, you guys lost a couple of Canadian officers. Um, and so it's not, I don't think it's much different in Canada, but we're here to find out all about the Canadian. So tell us about you, M, and how did you get into policing and how all that stuff? Okay. Um, so I became a police officer in 2018. Um, I was a teacher prior to that. I taught elementary school. So it was a big shift, but a very welcome one. Um, I grew up as an athlete and played competitive sports. I actually went to school in the States um, on a softball scholarship. So I played uh, softball uh, down in Pennsylvania. So I think just my like competitive nature always left me wanting more when I was a teacher. I enjoyed it. I like the interaction with the kids, but I just, I always wanted more of a challenge. Um, I don't have policing in my family. I've never really had any interactions with police. I was kind of your very standard citizen that if the police came and knocked on my door and we were like, we need to come in and search your house. I'd be like, okay, like, okay, <laughs> you can do that. Not, not knowing, you know, the authorities, which police have and can work with them. So, um, I don't know what sparked the change for me, but it was just one of those things that came to me and it was, I, I believe the best decision in my life. I love this job so much. I guess I'm in, I'm in my sixth year now, I guess. So, um, and I'm, a patrol officer on the beat. Um, like you said, in a, a Canadian city, I work for a service that is uh, quite large in a very busy city. Um, and like I was explaining to you before, um, our services across the country within like city services and regional services are all pretty similar um, with how they're run, how the hiring process goes. Um, the only kind of difference that you would see would be with our RCMP um, and even our provincial police. Um, so I guess kind of comparing it to like maybe your state police and your troopers and stuff like that compared to like your NYPD, your LAPD that are, you know, your city police, that's like what I work for. So um, they're pretty similar across the board, um, across the country. So yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. Uh, like I said, I, I don't know what sparked it, but I am very glad that I did. You're not the first former teacher that I know that became a police officer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the similarities are actually incredible in terms of dealing with adults who act like the children I used to teach. Um, I just sometimes get to arrest them, and that's the fun part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that. I, I wonder. I wonder why that is. I mean, literally, I'm. I'm not just saying that. I know several teachers who who became police officers, and it just seems like such a. They go to school. It's almost like. It's almost like. Um, Teaching is kind of like police, police, like it's, it's a calling, you know, we're, we're here to educate the kids, the children. And then with yeah. police work, it's like, I'm here to educate the suspects or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I think part of it too, is like the comfortability with being in an authority role, um, being able to, cause it is very similar. It's like going into a classroom um, you might not know what you're doing and in teaching, it's the same. I mean, the learning curve is not nearly as steep, but you go into the classroom and you're kind of like, Oh God, like, do I have any idea what I'm doing? But the kids don't know that the kids don't know if it's your first year or your 10th year. And it's kind of the same on the road. Like you go to a call and the people you deal with have no idea if it's your first call on your own. You know, you just finished with your field training officer. Um, they don't know if you've been on for 10 years, 15 years, they have no idea. So it's just kind of that, I think that confidence along with the authority to be able to just show up somewhere and own what's going on. And I think like, as a former athlete too, as a former pitcher, I was always kind of used to being in control and having the confidence to work through like challenges, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Donovan, you're, you kind of were nodding there that you knew 
teachers that became cops too. So. Yeah, actually, at the academy, we see quite a few coming through that are former teachers. So, I mean, it is this kind of equivalent. I mean, one thing that you do know is when you become a cop, you tend to all of a sudden take on everyone's children because no one wants to discipline. So then we have to take that over sometimes. So, yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, that is very true. I always tell people that, that, you know, the cops get blamed for all kinds of stuff when it comes to the, to people, you know, criminals being arrested or confronted. And I always tell them that by the time the the suspect is confronted by the police, then they're way past the whole parenting school, all that stuff. So yeah, you're not fixing them. It's where were the parents? Where were the teachers? Where were the doctors, the therapists? Like there's so many stops before getting to the point of police where it's like, you finally reached us. Like they're, you're, they're too far gone and we're going to put a bandaid on it because our, the legal system doesn't do enough to be able to correct anything. There's no corrective justice. Um, so it's, it feels like a lost cause sometimes. Yeah. And the, and the cops, <laughs> the cops are not there to uh, fix people. That's not their role. They're, the yeah. police are there to enforce the laws that, that, uh, government, uh, enacts and they're, yeah. they're not there. People always say, um, well, how come you didn't help them? How come blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. They're not there to help people. They're here to, to keep the community safe, to arrest, uh, bad people and send them to jail. The whole helping thing is not part of, of the job description. Um, so I think that's, that's interesting, but I think that teaching, gave you a a bit of a perspective that a lot of police officers don't have. I mean, the interaction, the the communication skills and all that, that it takes to, because with children, they, you know, children, like for me, when I was young, I'd be like, a teacher could be talking to me and I'd I'd be like, Oh, squirrel, you know, I'd be my attention span wouldn't be there. So your communication skills were, were pretty good by the time you got on the job then. Yeah. And that's the biggest tool. Like as I'm a smaller female, so I'm not out there trying to get in fights with people. Like I don't, I don't enjoy tasing people. I don't want to pull weapons on people. Um, de-escalation is so huge and doing it with your words, um, is going to save you a lot of grief, a lot of trouble, a lot of potential future issues when it comes to, you know, people in inquests and people, you know, armchair quarterbacking, you know, why did you do this? Why did you do that? Um, so just, yeah, your ability to talk on the job has to be um, top notch, especially now with everybody's got camera phones out. Everybody's got, you know, video, video on you. There's video everywhere you go. So you really have to be accountable for every single thing you do. You know, gone are the days of being able to take someone behind a bar and, you know, <laughs> show them, you know, show them a lesson or whatever, whatever, you know, cops used to do back in the day. It's very different now. So it is very much about de-escalation. At least that's what I heard. Whatever cops used to, used to do back in the day, you know, that's what I heard. From, uh, you know, those stories that they tell over campfires, remember the old days, you know, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And so you were a teacher. I mean, it just seems like kind of a thing where, where did you just, you were teaching, what grades were you teaching? So at the time I was teaching a like young elementary school, I was, um, kind of a blanket. I taught, um, like a blanket of different subjects. I taught, um, the, the fun subjects, gym, drama, health, um, uh, music, art to like primary age. So kindergarten to grade three, not nearly as fun as it sounds. Teaching kindergarten gym is like honestly worse than <laughs> probably most details you can get as a police officer. It is just hell for a very long time. Um, 
but yeah, so, I mean, it, it was fun, but it was not, it was not fulfilling enough for me. It wasn't challenging enough. Um, and I just, I don't know, like when I think about, you know, going on the road every day, you literally never know what you're going to go into. You could be going into a day where you actually get time to make traffic stops. Or you could be going into a day where there's, you know, 18 calls pending because night shift, whatever reason. Um, and you're busy and you might think, you know, you've got a handle on the job. Then all of a sudden a call comes up and you're like, Oh God, what do I do? What do I do with this? So every day you're presented with challenges and it's, I think it's good for people who enjoy challenges and enjoy change. Um, definitely not a job that you could just kind of go into and go through the motions. You won't do well anyway. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a, uh, I'm a college uh, dropout, so I can't speak to higher education, but but, um, did you find, stop laughing at me, Donovan. <laughs> so, do you find that your, your college education, did you go, Oh, I, I went to school for all these years for this. And, and does it carry over in the United States? For the most part, I don't think if, if you ask any background investigator and I think any most police officers, if they, if they, uh, the big thing many years ago was you need to get a criminal justice degree, an administration of justice degree. That should be your college degree. And today, most people will tell you that is a waste of a degree because if you get hurt or something, what are you going to do with an AJ degree? You're not going to do anything. Do you find that your it's, is it like that in Canada or was your, was your college education a plus for you? Um, so I did my undergrad in education. I got a bachelor of science in education and then I went, I came back home and did my master's in education as well. So I guess probably higher educated than a lot of cops. Um, but it, I wouldn't say it, it helped through the process. I would say it's, it maybe helped in terms of knowing how to study. Like when I was at police college, um, I, I, my coworkers would probably say I'm pretty smart. So it, you know, learning things is pretty easy for me, but again, this job, you can't learn in a book. Um, and when I first got on the road with my coach, I learned that very quickly that like, you just have to get the reps in, in this job. You're nothing that you learn. Cause you're going to, you're going to go into police college and you're going to read a scenario, you know, bad guy did this, this and this, what do you do? But then you get on the road and all of a sudden, you know, that bad guy that you read about, Oh, he just did fentanyl. Now what do you do? Mm-hmm. And it's like, Oh my God, I didn't learn this. So <laughs> it's, yeah, just your, I would say like anybody that is considering like looking at university degrees and college degrees and things like that. Anything that just broadens your skill set, Cause I think some of the best police officers that I know came from unique backgrounds. You know, they weren't just, um, up here. It's uh, what's called police foundations. It's like a, I think either one or two year college program mm-hmm. at, or certificate or degree or whatever they call it. Um, uh, but again, like it, you're going to relearn everything in police college, everything that you need to know that's applicable to the actual job. You're going to relearn in police college and then in training with your, um, with your service. So it, it really is, like you said, a bit of a waste when you could go and learn something else, um, and get different experiences, especially if policing doesn't work out. If you go, if you do police foundations and you don't get hired by, you know, a service, what, what are you going to do after that? Become a security guard? Like there's not really a lot of options. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey Donovan, what's really cool is M just said she said uh, process process. Mm-hmm. I have a friend in Canada, yeah. and he, my friend in Canada, he he says to me, "We don't, I don't say a boot. I say you say a boot. You do, <laughs> because, but I always have fun with him doing that. Uh, but he makes fun of my American accent as well. So what can I tell you? Um, but I appreciate you saying process because that." That's cause it's kind of cool. I like that. Um, so what I want to find out is uh, what, oh, you know what? I do have a question about this. 
in the United States, uh, kids go to, uh, you know, the education system is uh, elementary school, junior high or middle school, high school, junior college or a four-year college. Um, and in Canada, the education system post high school is a little, is str- you have university and college, right? Or Yeah. So, and I, yeah, I found that different too. Cause like when I went to school in the States, like it was a university, it was like a four year state school, um, but they called it college. Um, but yeah, up here um, in order to get like a degree, you go to university, which is typically a four year program. Um, and then our colleges are like your small, not necessarily smaller, but they're like your one or two year programs. Um, and you would get, I guess, diplomas or uh, certificates. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, we are very, kind of strict or consistent with, you know, calling it university or college, depending on where you went. But, and then for the most part, our elementary schools are kindergarten to grade eight. You'll get the odd area that has like a middle school, like grade seven and eight, but for the most part, it's going to be kindergarten to grade eight and then high school being grade nine to 12. So, so college, what is, what kind of degree is college? College would be like a diploma in like police foundations. Um, like, becoming like a personal trainer, like working in a spa. Um, so is it more like a trade school then? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that would be probably the way to describe it. I'm probably not doing it any justice. I know there's fantastic college programs here. Um, and I mean, they say more and more now that, you know, university degrees don't get you job opportunities nearly as much as like college diplomas, just depending on what you want to do. So what I want to get into next is um, I want to know what your what your hiring process is like. I've done, I've done uh, quite a few consultations with Canadian applicants and I look at the, the PHS, the applications, and I've seen them from several departments and they seem to be very much like the U S applications. Um, and the, sometimes they're, sometimes they're long and sometimes I've seen one as short as 10 pages for the application. And Donovan, how, how long is the, is how, Big as a state, Washington state application. It's hard to say now because it's electronic. So as you add more information, it keeps getting bigger. But I would say average, if I printed one up, probably 39 pages or so. Yeah. Is it similar? Is that similar to uh, the Canadian? Yeah. So like the process for when I applied to my service um, and my service was the only one that I applied to. um, And I was also considering our provincial service, but I just wanted to look at city first. So, um, what you do is there's like an application that you fill out. I want to say it's online and you print it. And I think at the time you delivered it to the service. Now I'm sure it's all just e submitted, but, um, it was very, it was very standard in terms of the beginning stuff. Oh, sorry. No, prior to that, um, you have to go through, um, you have to do some sort of fitness testing, um, in order to even like be qualified to apply. Um, so you go through like a, a fitness, I think it's called the fitness pin. So it's like four, four different exercises that they put you through, like a push up, um, a core exercise, a running, like a beep test. I don't know if you guys have the beep test, but it's mm-hmm. like just sprints and, um, and then, um, I forgot the last one. It's been so long. Anyway. Oh, flexibility. So you do that and you get a score. Um, and then I believe you also go through, a pre, like a written, um, like a skill-based, uh, multiple choice test. I believe it could have changed, but I know when I applied, I had to jump through a whole bunch of hoops in order to get what's called, um, your certificate of results. I think it was called. 
which basically then just, I would say like authenticates you to be qualified to apply to be a police officer at a service. Um, I know things have changed quite a bit because the applicants are dwindling and we are hurting for officers, I'm sure just like everybody else. So they have taken a lot of that out, but in terms of the actual service itself, there's a whole bunch of different things you have to do in order to even be considered to apply. Once you apply, um, it's cover letter resume. Um, I think references, it's not too much though, cause they kind of put you through the ringer once they deem if you're qualified enough to make it to the next step. And then there's a few steps after that. So I don't know if you want me to go through those. It's kind of a, a cool process. I would say probably unique to what you guys have. Yeah. Uh, Donovan here, what I'm hearing is they have standards in Canada. <laughs> it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> we used to have those years ago uh, where you yes, actually you had, to quali- you had to be qualified to get on the job, but um, yeah, mm-hmm. go through that. Cause I want to hear about that. Yeah. So once you are deemed qualified enough to make it to an interview, the first step of the interview, and this is pretty standard, um, at least across my province, I'm sure it is across most provinces, but um, it's a pre-background questionnaire. So it's like probably 50 or 75 questions that you answer. That's basically everything from like, have you ever been arrested? Have you ever had a speeding ticket? Um, have you, you know, do you have a university degree, like just different things just to learn about your background. And then I guess from there, they probably weed people out. Um, once you pass your pre-background questionnaire, um, you get pulled in for what's called a local focus interview. So this is an hour long interview where they just want to learn about you. They're going to ask you some pretty standard questions in terms of like, tell us about a time where you've had a conflict with someone and how did you resolve it? Or tell us about a time where, you know, you had to solve a problem at work. How did you do it? So just, I would, I would say a pretty standard like HR interview. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at that time, they'll also bring up any issues that they had with your pre-background questionnaire. So they, um, I know a big one when I was going through the process was, um, have you ever smoked weed? Because back then weed was still illegal and it was kind of like they, which is a weird, a weird question to ask because I mean, I, as an athlete was never a weed smoker, but it was, it's pretty liberal up here. And it was at the time as well. Like if, even when I first got hired, they, we weren't arresting people for having marijuana on them. We were arresting them if they were, if they had enough to be considered trafficking, but you know, someone that's got a couple dime bags of weed on them, we're not, we we're not arresting for that. So I know it's treated very differently down there. Um, especially, you know, five, six years ago. Um, but yeah, in your lo- uh, local focus interview, they would ask you about, um, anything that came up in your pre-background. And then if you were successful with that, then they schedule you for, uh, on another day, um, something that's called the essential competency interview. So this is where they take, um, the competencies that they consider to be job competencies and ask you questions based on them. So I believe it's a five question interview, but what they do is they, um, they write everything down that you say verbatim very stressful because you have to speak slowly, which is very hard for me to do. Um, so what they do is they, they will show you the question on a piece of paper and they'll say, give us like the, the movie trailer version of what this, your, your story or your example is going to be. And then we'll tell you if we think it's going to be good enough to fit what we're looking for. And then we'll allow you to elaborate on it. So, um, you know, you look at this question you're like, Oh, so you're thinking like, Hey, what am I going to say for this? Then you come up with something and you say it. And then they might say, okay, we're just going to have you step out of the room for a second so we can discuss if we think this is going to be a good enough example. So then you step out of the room and you're waiting and then they call you back in and they're like, yep, I think this will be good. Go on about your example. So then you go on and 
give this long story. So my essential competency interview was three hours long and I had to leave the room five times. I was like, there's no, like, I'm just going to go home. There's no way I'm getting this job. Yeah. It's very stressful. I don't know. I should, I should ask the guys that interviewed me if they did that on purpose to make me nervous. Cause (laughs) I, I was in my head so hard. Yeah. So one of your classmates, yeah, mine was only 10 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. Like I was in there, I was in there all day. I had to have a lunch break. It was was crazy. What's the, what's the reason for that? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> I think I honestly, I think part of it is checks and balances. I think because it, it's so HR based and they want to, they're, they're scoring you. So obviously they want to hear you address this and address that, whether it's addressing, you know, conflict resolution, ad- uh, addressing diversity, inclusivity, um, ability to cope with change. Like, I don't know if that's kind of what they're waiting for and why they're sitting there, you know, hand bombing your entire interview. Um, but I think it's maybe to make it a, fair or objective process so they can say, yeah, this person scored, you know, 78 out of a hundred, this person scored 56 out of a hundred. So this is why we picked them. But you can be disqualified out of that interview, right? Oh yeah. Yep. A lot of people will fail out at the local focus interview. People will fail out at the essential competency interview. Um, So then once you make it past that, you get your, um, you go to the, chief's interview, which, um, I know traditionally is supposed to be where, um, you sit down in this big boardroom at the end of a long table and the chief sits on the other end of the long table. Um, and your deputies sit on either side and they just, it's a 20 minute. What HR says is they just want to get to know you get a feel for who you are. Um, so of course, like as someone who, and for me, like I don't have policing in my family, I, this is my probably one of my first times in a police station, like these interviews. So I'm going in and I'm like, I'm going to meet the chief. Like I didn't even, I had, I knew nothing about the police process. Like it's, it's amazing. I made it through cause I, I knew nothing. So I'm sitting there and I guess luckily the chief wasn't there for mine, but it was the two deputies. So these two guys probably, probably 60 years of policing experience between the two of them. And I sit down and they just ask me some questions, you know, why do you want to work for this service? Um, what, you know, what do you know about this region? Um, and I don't live in the region that I applied to. Um, so trying to make a connection to like, why do I want to work here other than like, you know, it's a nice area and I don't want to police where I work. Um, a little difficult, but after that interview, and I believe that's kind of the last stamp of them to say like, yeah, we have a good feel about this person. Cause I think with policing experience, even now, like it doesn't take me very long to talk to someone to learn whether or not they're a good person right? You, you talk to so many people on the job, you just start to be able to read people so quickly. So I think they're kind of the ones that look at you and go, okay, yeah, that's, that'll be a good person. Or they look and go, yeah, no, that person wants to be a police officer for the wrong reason. So we, we don't want them. So you get the stamp of approval from that. Then you go into your psych assessment. So it is, and you do that right after your chief's interview. So the psych assessment is a, I'm not kidding. I think it was a 400 question, multiple choice on a computer. Um, and it was just, I think it was like one of those, like always, sometimes never answers where you just check off. So it's like, Uh I get angry. I get angry when things don't go my way. Always, sometimes never. Um, I've been in multiple fights. Like, so, and then throughout the test, they're re-asking the same questions, but rewording them differently. Uh Um, Uh so that they can kind of catch your, you know, fibbing or anything like that. So, it is exhausting, um, but you finish that test and then that gets sent to the psychologist. If they don't see any red flags with that, then you get your appointment with the psychologist and they talk to you for about an hour. Um, 
and I guess learn if you are deemed sane enough to become a police officer. Um, and you then know, once that, sorry, I, go ahead. I was going to, I was going to interrupt that test. If it's the MMPI or something similar, mm-hmm. I, I tested for, to be a police officer, uh, probably starting in 1979. And that was the same test I took back then. It probably, it probably is. Mm-hmm. It's like an extensive list of questions and they're all pretty similar. Yes. And I hated it. It took mm-hmm. forever. And I'm going, yeah. And there's, yeah. I'm like, this, this, t- this question looks familiar. I, I, re- they already asked me this. So, and then you're like, did I, did I say sometimes or never? Cause like <laughs> yeah. I sometimes did like this one time, mm-hmm. but like, I don't know if that count. Yeah. Yes. It's very stressful. Yes. Yeah. So they're still doing that. And it is very stressful. They do that up up here in Washington state. Yeah. Yeah. They still do that one. I think almost everywhere does it. I did it in Wisconsin too. I hate that test. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh huh. Yeah. So then, um, <laughs> God, it's, it's, it's like a, it's a journey. Um, so after that, yeah. So you go to psychologist, um, you get the, the stamp of approval from them. And what's interesting kind of sidebar to this is that our most recent class that, it's one of our most recent classes, the last two classes, I think that we're going through the process. I think 50% of them failed out of the psychologist part. So they made it through all those other parts and mm-hmm. then didn't get passed by the psychologist. So hmm. kind of interesting. Um, I, I don't know what kind of, if there was an outlier or what it was, or if the psychologist was having a bad day. I don't know, but it's, it, to me, that's just bizarre. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, Yeah. I don't know. We're hurting. So it's like, just drop your bar a little bit because we need officers. Yeah. And it's not unusual. Uh, where I came from in California, the medical testing psych and psych is part of medical and you can't merge medical with the background, any other part of the process, you can't merge medical. So they were kind of autonomous and they, we would go, Oh, this candidate's so good. And I passed his background and send him to psych. And they were DQing back in about 2018. They were DQing about, 60 to 70 percent of the candidates that we sent to them and we're going oh my gosh you're killing us with these psych dqs um but it sounds like you guys were having a similar problem yeah and like i mean we're hurting so bad for officers anyway so when you're done the psych part if you're successful um they go into your background check so this is because and i assume they keep this for the end because people who you know have jobs like i didn't let my principal at the time know that I was trying to leave. Um, and I think they probably do that for other people as well. So, um, they go into your background, they ask for, um, I think like pretty much every employer you've ever worked for, um, people you live with any past roommates, like they ask for all kinds of people. I think they contacted maybe 10 people from my background. Um, previous bosses, everything from like when I used to work at a gym. Um, I think they called my, university softball coach as well, which is kind of weird, but I mean, I, I, I get it. And I, I, I appreciate the, how extensive it is. Um, and then they come do like a house visit. So wherever you live, they come in and, um, I've heard horror stories of some people's mine was fine. He came, I was living in a condo at the time and the background guy came in and, uh, I had my mom come visit with me so that she was there when he came and, uh, he just sat down and talked to me and just basically said, you know, like, what do you expect the job to be like? It was just very, very, very simple. But I've heard people say that like the officer like walks around their house and looks in bedrooms. And, uh, Cause I, I clean my, I clean my condo up, upside down, uh, up and down to make sure that it, everything was good. And I didn't want to think I was sloppy. I was very nervous about it. Um, Cause I had heard some horror stories from other people, but once they 
once you get through that and they receive all your, uh, all your stuff, it's a bit of a waiting game. And despite all those things, um, my process, I applied in January and found out at the beginning of March that I got hired. So it really went quickly for how much, how much, Mm -hmm. uh, how much it is. So. Yeah. We used to, we used to have candidates apply and they go, Hey, so it's been eight months and I'm okay. (laughs) Oh man. Wow. Yeah. 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 No, it's, I would say it's pretty different here. The other thing too, and this is um, just, I mean, this is not relevant now, but inform informative for kind of the process that we have. When I first applied and back before, I think maybe pre 2020, you would have to do something um, in order to get your uh, certificate of results. Part of it was you would have to go through this, um, this testing. So there was this company that basically monopolized all this police testing. So it was called uh, ATS. And what you would do is you would have to go there and go through physical stuff. So it was a, a beep test and uh, like the shuttle run. And then, uh, a a prep the test with the physical test is called the prep and it's i'm sure there's similar ones in the states it's like you have to put on the weight of vest and the weight of belt and you have to run a circuit and you have to climb over the wall and you have to drag the dummy at the end and there's like a push pull machine and it's basically just simulating some kind of no kind of police pursuit i've ever gone into but some kind of similar police um physical <laughs> altercation where you're tired and whatever um and you have to complete it under a certain amount of time so um if you are that's the very first part of it i believe and so you you're successful in that then you go and you get to do a a a written test which was i believe you had to write like an essay and there was a math part as well Hmm. and then um i wish i could i I can't believe it's left it's out of my brain now it was traumatizing it was just so much so much to apply to a job um (laughs) But then the weirdest part was, and this was the second part. So after you passed your, uh, your physical and your written, then you get to go to the next level. It's like a video game. You level up, you get to go to the next level. So the next level of testing was, um, I forgot what it was called. Uh, the, anyway, you have to sit in this room and there's like a TV screen and you're looking at it and they present you there. So there, there's a video camera on you and you're looking at this old school, like box TV, but that probably had a VHS in it. And, um, they're presenting you a scenario. So it'll be like a, a, this lady and she gets into an argument with her neighbor and you, you're watching them argue. Then they show a police officer coming up and they put the camera perspective into the police officer's perspective. And then they pause it and you just have to respond as the officer. So you're talking to this TV that's not interactive at all. And this camera's on you and you're just looking and you're like, hi, ma'am. I'm here to discuss this issue that you're having with your neighbor. Um, and you have to give this advice to this TV. It was the most awkward thing. I'm sure these people had a blast just watching these stupid videos that we gave them. Cause it was mortifying. You're just sitting in this room and I think there were six scenarios. So you did that as well. Um, and then you go through obviously like physical testing, um, vision, hearing and all that too. So, um, your certificate of results back then was very extensive because it was, you know, all that long list of things before you can even apply to a service. Donovan, it seemed really hard hmm. to get tired in Canada. <laughs> I don't think right? I'd pass. Oh. Wow. I'm so glad I got hired here in the U.S. <laughs> I don't think I would pass the testing there, man. Yeah. It's that's, too long. that's a but, lot of work. It's a lot of work to get a job. Holy mackerel. Well, yeah. I, I think part of it too was like, I mean, 
it wasn't that long ago that there was a freeze on hiring in some places. Like I know Toronto, Toronto police had a hire on freezing for a long time because they just had way too many applicants. It, it's the same with teaching. It all goes in waves. And right now, like every service is begging for applicants. Services are like, you know, looking, wanting to trade services, wanting to come work where you live, like trying to poach, no, I shouldn't say poach, trying to just get officers from other services to come work for their service. Cause everybody's just hurting and it costs a lot of money for the services to train people. And you're still seeing recruits either fail out of police college or get into coaching and realize they don't like it. Um, we had a recruit on our shift not that long ago. Um, he was probably, I don't know, maybe 25 shifts into his coaching Mm -hmm. was knew he wasn't going to be like, he was not going to be a good officer. Just, it wasn't cut out for the job. Uh, really, really nice guy. Just not a, good cop and he he realized it's so good for him because it's not a job you want to do if you if you don't like it and you're not invested in it um but he quit and it's like you think about how much money it costs to put people through this because you're still getting paid through this whole process right so it's a lot for the service so i think there's kind of that accountability on the services part to say like we want to vet these people as best as we can because it's a long process to put them through and we're giving them a gun so Mm -hmm. we kind of want to make sure that there's someone that we can trust enough to be able to not you know get our service on the news. So uh, right. you mentioned, uh, you mentioned uh, police hiring a couple times and I want to ask you about this. Um, the problems with, or the issue about app- getting applicants to apply. And um, there, uh, we know Donovan and I know a police sergeant in, in uh, Kent, uh, Eric tongue. He posted an article on Instagram and there was two. There was another article that I saw the exact same. It was the exact same thing, but it's in a different city. Las Vegas Metro PD and another agency were offering signing bonus for lateral officers forty thousand dollars. Forty thousand wow. dollars. Please come join our department. <laughs> you know, and I'm oh like forty thousand dollars. And at one point, Donovan, you were offering twenty thousand, weren't you? I think we're up to twenty five thousand now. Or laterals. I might go work in yeah. Vegas for forty thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, it doesn't. Nice weather. It doesn't. It doesn't make the departments any better. They're just trying to throw money at the problem. Mm-hmm. But out in the states, yeah. we know what the issues were. The the and in fact, the USA Today, which is a liberal newspaper in the United States, they just had an article today, and they were saying this is why you can't hire police officers. And this is a liberal paper saying because you vilified them, you demonized police officers, blah, 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 because of George Floyd and all that. And so in, in the United States, we know what's going on. And they um, but they also said they also said that the military, the US military is having the same issues uh uh recruiting young people to join the military. So I'm so you guys in Canada, you're having a problem with recruitment, but did we, did the United States, George Floyd bleed into Canada or, or were you having your own issues there? Yeah, it did. Um, I think it, a lot of the stuff that happens in the States is very clickbaity for Canada. I think, I don't know how much people up here, I shouldn't say that the, the loud minority up here. Um, the ones that really hate police, I don't know how actually well-versed they are in these things that have happened. Um, you know, the ones that when I'm driving my cruiser, they're giving me the finger. I don't think that they really know what's going on other than they're seeing a headline, you know, officer shoots male in chest, male didn't have got like, they're seeing these very quick baby things. 
when they have no idea what actually happened. Um, whereas in other, in other areas of life, you would see a clickbait title and you're like, no way that can't be true. Like it's something as I, I, I can't think of an example, but you see a title and you're like, okay, that's, that's clickbait. That's not true at all. And you read the article and you're like, okay, that was definitely not true. But anything that involves police, people just like to assume, oh yeah, they definitely did that. Police are the bad people. Um, and I always say it, it like, it's very simple. Like there's bad, there's bad people in every profession, right? You, you think about all the, all the times that we see, you know, teachers getting arrested for assaulting a student or doctors getting arrested. Look at the, the gymnastics doctor of the, you know, the United States gymnastics team. We're not canceling doctors. We're not saying defund doctors. We need doctors mm-hmm. <laughs> just like we need doctors and we need police. And it's, it's just a frustrating narrative, but it, it definitely bled up here. Um, there was, I mean, we didn't have, we don't have the, um, I know there was some controversy in the States with black lives matter in terms of the funding and stuff like that. But we, we did have a lot of black lives matter rallies up here, but they were, as far as I know, just like genuine, like they were just people that were wanting to support people that were feeling oppressed. And I think that's fantastic. I think everybody that feels oppressed should have the right to go out and, you know, show support and get support. Um, but it, there was never like a blue lives matter protest. There was never people saying let's support the police. Um, because I think those kind of people just, they were people like me before becoming a cop. I was pro police, but I was not, you know, I wasn't wearing a, a, a blue lives matter shirt. I didn't put the, you know, the thin blue line flag on the back of my car when I was a civilian. Um, you just kind of, it's just this unassumed appreciation or this, uh, this unspoken appreciation for law enforcement, for authority, respect for authority. So I don't know. It's it it bled up here for sure. People just becoming more. You see it in day to day. Like I'll I'll go to a call and knock on a door and ask for someone. And if there was a disturbance or something, and I'll say, okay, can I just get your name for my report? And they're like, well, I don't have to give my, give you my name. I'm like, I, <laughs> why are you being why are you being difficult? Like you don't even know. Like it people just becoming so disrespectful and rude to police. Like I would have yeah. never been like that prior to becoming an mm-hmm. officer. You just an officer asks you something, you give it to them. Like. So it's, I would say just the attitude towards police has definitely shifted up here. Yeah. And you guys would know more about this. You mm-hmm. and Donovan would know more. I was, I was talking with Steve at, uh, Steve Gould at one point and he was saying he was just driving through town. I don't think it was his town. I think it was a neighboring town or something like that. And he stopped at a stop sign or a light and some guy drove by him and just flipped them off for just because, mm-hmm. you know, like what oh, it is- happens all, all the time, all the time. Yep. Or the thing where where they you stop them and go, hey, um, I just need to see your driver's license. Why? Why'd you stop me? I don't have to talk to you. And like, what do you mean you don't have to talk to me? <laughs> you know, what is this? Yeah. Yeah. The amount of disrespect and like, yeah, it's unbelievable. The amount of time. And I mean, it, even the typical stuff you see, you pull someone over and, you know, you get accused of being racist. And I, I usually come back with, well, could you tell what I was when I pulled you over? Could you tell if I was a female, if I was a male, if I was black, if I was white? Like, I'm, I'm doing my job. You're the one that didn't stop at the stop sign. So it's pretty simple. And I think I, I feel for our newer officers because I started pre, I think, I think George Floyd is a, a good benchmark in terms of policing. It's, it's, you know, when you think about things in time frames, you know, you, you, you always remember nine 11, you know, what life was like flying in airplanes before nine 11 post nine 11. I think George Floyd is a, a really strong benchmark for policing too. And just like COVID was, um, so to be able to say, you know, I, I was trained as an officer before George Floyd and I had to really um, change the way we all did, the way that we approach situations. Um, it's 
you have to be sensitive of things that maybe we didn't realize before. And I don't know if that's some form of, of maybe implicit bias or unconscious bias, but it's, it's been a good, it's been a good reality check. Cause there's, when you look at the job and the people we deal with, I, I say, and I don't know if this stats true. I say that we deal with the same 5% of the population, 95% of the time. Um, but that 95% that we don't deal with are all pretty good people. And I tend to forget that a lot because you just get so swamped in negativity and you're arresting the same people every day. They're getting released every day. That's a huge thing up here right now is, um, bail reform because we've, um, I think one of our officers that was shot and killed, um, pretty recently was shot by someone that had been released on, um, pretty, pretty heavy weapons charges and turns around and murders a police officer. So it's, um, it's, it's big right now and it's catching momentum in the media. So instead of the heat being on officers, they're now saying, Oh, legal system's just going to release them now. You know, police are doing their job. What's, what's the legal system doing? So it's, it's kind of nice. And I hope the momentum keeps going because it's frustrating. It's very frustrating. You, I, I arrested someone not that long ago on breaking under charges. Um, and he had been released, um, from custody, I think earlier last year on firearms charges, which is pretty big deal up here. Cause you, not a lot of people have firearms legally up here. It's just not something we don't have the gun culture that you guys do. So anyway, he was released on firearms charges last year. And then when I arrested him this time, he had a concealed loaded firearm on him. And that's, that's a scary day for us. Like we, we, not to say that anybody should get used to being shot at at their job, but Canadian officers, we, that's rare for us. That's a really, really bad day for us. So tell me, tell me about, I mean, I've taken guns off of people and, and Donovan, I'm, I'm sure you have too, but you, you reach in that waistband, there's a gun, you go partner gun. It's like a, a pucker factor moment. Tell me about how you got a gun off somebody. So it's, the whole it's it's an interesting story so i was investigating just a very simple break and enter um i it was a, a an apartment built or like um, like a three-story kind of apartment house that was being renovated into a triplex i don't know if you guys use the word triplex mm-hmm. but like a three level yeah three level apartment so the neighbor calls the landlord to say hey this car just pulled up and these people went in blah 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 so she thankfully gets the license plate so I run the license plate and it comes back to a gentleman, um, a a gentleman who lived hour and a half away from here. And when I looked him up on our, um, I guess what would be like your, uh, uh, like our our transportation systems or driver's license system, his photo looked nothing like the two guys that were seen going to the house. So I'm like, this is kind of weird. So I sent a, um, you can send like messages to different services through like a proper vetted system to obtain information. So I sent that police service a message and just said, Hey, would you mind going and knocking on the door of this registered owner? See if maybe he knew where his car was today because uh, we're just investigating something. So um, they get back to me and they're like, yeah, he actually rented his car out on um, this app called Turo, which is basically Airbnb for cars here. So oh, you can yeah. imagine how much fun that is for <laughs> to deal with. Cause that's instead of these, criminals using uh, enterprise or any of the normal ones that are pretty easy to access information. They're going through these kind of like third party services that make it very difficult because had I not seen that driver on the driver's license system, I might've just assumed it was him. And, you know, I don't really have much to go from. So anyway, um, the officer goes there and he says, yeah, I rented it out to this female. So gives me the female's information. I'm like, perfect. So um, I'm at the end of my shift. So I'm like, okay, it's, 
breaking out or I'll deal with this, you know, on my next shift. So the female calls our service that night and says, Hey, I'm just wondering why police were at, uh, we're investigating where my car is that I'm renting. Um, she's like, I, I lent it to a friend. Um, so I didn't have my car earlier. So I don't know why police are uh, wondering where it was. And I'm like, okay, yeah, convenient, but okay. <laughs> so they, they hold that call for me to deal with the next day. Cause I was investigating it. So I give her a call and I looked in our system and she was linked to this, uh, this guy who, like I said, was out on firearms charges, a very, very bad dude. So I'm like, okay, this could get really interesting. So I notify our break and enter team. And, uh, I said, I'm, I'm going to call her and I said, I'm going to get her to come in and I'm just going to ask her to provide me like a, see if she's willing to provide a, a recorded statement. Um, interviewing her as a witness, not as a suspect at this point, cause it was two men that were involved. Um, she seems like she's trying to cover something up. So I bring her in and I, you know, I provide her the proper caution. I say, just so you know, anything you say can be used as evidence. Um, you're here voluntarily. You're willing to provide a statement, get it all captured. She basically sells him out, says, yep, he, uh, you know, he's my boyfriend slash ex-boyfriend, um, you know, a ton of drama between the two of them for a long time. Um, but there's no mention of a firearm. She just says, yep, he, she's like, he's probably out doing this again. He always does this. Um, I said, okay. I said, that's fine. So, um, our break and enter team was obviously further investigating it. So they, um, they end up locating her back at her apartment in her car with him. He's in the passenger seat and they start to drive away. So they call me cause I'm still on patrol and they said, Hey, they're in this area. Do you mind, you know, maybe trying to pull them over, see if we can talk to them. You know, we have grounds to arrest him or reasonable cause or whatever you guys say. We have a reason to arrest him. So I pull up behind the car and I know, I know that he's in the passenger seat. So when I stop the car, I see him kind of like moving around, shifting. And I never, you don't like that. Like you get that kind of like a oh, crap feeling when you see someone kind of doing something that's not very standard. So I get out and I go straight to the passenger seat. And uh, I said, hey guys, I said, uh, you know, we're, we're investigating something. I said, man, you got to get out. We've got grounds to arrest you. And of course he's, you know, no, no, you don't. I didn't do anything. I'm like, okay, you know, talk to your lawyer. It's fine. So he comes out cooperatively. Um we arrest him. We start searching him, you know, for safety at the roadside. And he's got like a satchel across his chest and another kind of little baggie around his waist. So we take those off him and just go through them. And as we're going through them, he's got a whole bunch of drugs on him, like enough to be considered um, like trafficking. So kind of sidebar up here with drugs recently, if you've got personal possession amount, it's typically not, we're not laying charges for that anymore, which is ridiculous but we're if we find like a little bit of meth on someone a little bit of crack they're not getting charged with it wow so because it's just getting tossed in court because um the i guess the reasoning behind it is that you know drug addiction is not going to be stopped by charges which is true i i agree with that but it's still my i mean at the end of the day we're getting drugs off the streets we're not giving them back to them we're seizing them for destruction so i mean it's less paperwork and it's not going to turn into, you know, they're not going to come to court. There's going to be a warrant anyway. So we do arrest in charge when it's enough for possession of, for the purpose of trafficking. So, you know, someone's got a bunch of dope on them. They've got little baggies. They've got a scale. Okay. You're clearly trafficking. So he had all of that. So we're like, okay, on top of the break and enter, you're actually now being arrested for possession for the purpose of trafficking. So we bring them into our um, division or precinct, whatever you guys call it. And uh, we have like our cell block 
downstairs, which is where they get held. Um, if they're being held overnight, like held for bail to see the judge in the morning, they'll be held. If they're being released, they'll just go in the cell until the paperwork's ready. But obviously because of his drug history and drug concern, we had grounds to strip search him. So we've got him outside the strip search area. Um, and typically when someone is being strip searched, we'll outside of the um, strip search room, we'll get them down to one layer on top, one layer on the bottom. So it's less, less moving around when you're in the little strip search room, it's a lot more safe. So we're taking off, you know, his sweater and he's got three pairs of pants on cause they always do. Um, so we start taking things off and uh, we said, yeah, man, you're getting strip searched. And he's like, no, I'm not. And we're like, well, <laughs> yeah, you are. Um, so he starts to kind of go limp and uh, our cell block sergeant is like, man, like this is happening, whether you want it to or not. So just tell us right now, if you've got anything on you that we shouldn't know about. So he starts to go into like, almost like this medical seizure. And I'm like, is this real? Like, you know, they get, we call it like cellitis or incarceritis when they don't want to go to jail. They go mm-hmm. to the hospital because there's comfy beds and nice nurses sometimes. Um, so he goes into this like medical seizure. It's, he's not foaming at the mouth. His eyes aren't rolling back his head. He just kind of like collapses and is kind of like fidgeting a little bit. And we're like, this is weird. So we're like, all right, call an ambulance. But we were like, we still have to strip search. Like we still, he hasn't been searched. So they do the front, they flip him over, pull his pants down. He's got a loaded firearm right between his butt cheeks. So I'm thinking that he probably had it in his satchel when I pulled them over and he probably took care of it at the roadside, which at the time I hadn't really processed until I got home and was like, that could have been pointed at me at some point. And then it, you just, it kind of hits you that like, yeah, like there are like really bad people out there. And it, it was just kind of a, I don't know if humbling is the right word, but just a moment where you're like, yeah, like this job actually is dangerous. And these people that hate us, mm-hmm. like just have no idea. Did you, uh, before you transported him, did you guys search him then? Yeah. Oh yeah. He got, or sorry. So like when we arrested him at the roadside. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. He was given a pat down and it's funny. Cause I watched the officer that searched him. He gave him the full, like back of the hand up the middle. Like this thing was lodged up there. Like I, I don't fault the officer at all. I it's I'm they, that could have been a lot worse for a lot of people, but it's just one of those things. Like that's why we do the good pat down. Like he wasn't going to be able to access it with his cuffs on. Right. So that's kind of the purpose of your roadside search. And luckily we obviously have the grounds to strip search him. So yeah, I don't remember being taught to search in someone's butthole for a gun. Just not something no, that's trained to do. No. And I mean, <laughs> thankfully, thankfully he had all the drugs on him or else we might not, we, we probably would have articulated a strip search. Um, I don't know how it is for you guys, but if there's any drug concern at all, we're strip searching to make sure that they're not going to use in our cell block and, and overdose. Like I, yeah. where we are, fentanyl is a huge thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're seeing people are bringing it in in little baggies in the back of their mouth. They're bringing it in. They're shoving it anywhere you can shove something. And it's it it doesn't make searching more fun. That's for sure. Because you're really like at the end of the day, like the person that I search, it's on me if they have something on them. And they go in a cell block and they use fentanyl and they die. I'm the last one that searched them and said no, they're good. Like that's a lot of responsibility. Yeah, I uh, mm-hmm. that's scary though. That gun story is scary because it happens where where they do get the guns and they they are in their car they're coming out of the car and they shoot the officer. It's happened quite a few times. Um, 
So I'm glad that you guys found that uh, in in Cali- in California. Well, where I, when when I was working patrol, we strip search every felony booking. Uh, is that what the you guys do okay. up here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's different. We, I guess, felony would be like um, like a criminal offense versus misdemeanor would be. Well, I don't the, really know the equivalent. The felony felony would be like robbery, murder, mur- <laughs> almost said murdery. Robbery, murder, burglary would be a felony. Uh, shoplifting, okay. assault, battery, those would be misdemeanors. They're just lower grade okay. crimes. Okay, yeah. So yeah, we have, yeah, ours are graded too. Like we've got indictable offenses, which are like your, your murder, your aggravated assault, that kind of stuff. And then your uh, dual, which is kind of a, depending on the level of what happened and the totality of everything, it could be either indictable or summary conviction. Summary conviction is like your shoplifting, your mischief, um, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. That's a, that's a dang scary story though, but it's, it's the reality of police mm-hmm. work. Um, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come right back. And I got questions about your police academy. We'll be right back. Policebackground.net is the premier background investigation prep site with veteran investigator Ken Rival, who spent 16 years conducting over 1,400 LAPD backgrounds. For more information, go to policebackground.net. And we are back. You know, you seem like kind of a hardcore, hard charger. And so I think that I want to find out about your academy because because uh, Donovan Minerva and I, we have uh, issues with easy academies. And so I'm hoping you tell me that your academy was badass, hardcore, military style. I don't know anything about Canadian academies. Uh, I kind of wish it was. I wish it was a lot harder than it was. Don't um, break my heart. Don't break my I heart. Really- <laughs> I know I'm, I'm going to tell you right now. It's not what you're wanting to see. Um, so, and it's also, it's different here too, because um, our like Academy is at least, so it's different province wide. So like in Ontario, it's called Ontario police college. So when you get hired by your service and they, they hire officers on three times a year and police college runs three times a year. So they bring in intakes in January, May and September and run 13 weeks of police college, police training. So, um, the Ontario police college is located, uh, Southwest, Southwest of Ontario, Southwest in Ontario. Um, and you are there for 13 weeks. You're there Monday to Friday. Um, and you have to stay overnight Monday to Friday. You get to go home on the weekends. If you want, you can also stay. Um, there's a lot of people obviously that travel from very far that, uh, stay the entire time. But, um, so the hiring process for your service kind of goes in, um, in tangent with the, the months that you go to police college. So like I said, I got, I found out I was hired in March and then every service is a little different in that, um, you start your, they call it like your pre police college training with your actual service. So for my service, it was three weeks of pre-training before police college. So you start basically the start of your job, you're going Monday to Friday to your service. Um, and they start teaching you just very basic stuff so that you don't look like a complete idiot when you go to police college. Um, cause I mean, they treat all of us like not, we didn't know policing, which I didn't. So I was very happy for the very rudimentary information that I was given. You're learning what a criminal offense is, what uh, reasonable grounds are, um, anything, anything about traffic, anything that you can learn. Um, and then they also incorporate fitness, which is good. So, um, our fitness was, I don't know, like a, 
good bit of running, some circuits, um, nothing crazy. Like, because at the time there was so much pre fitness testing that was required to even get hired. So they know you're in shape. And I, at least with my class, we were pretty lucky. Like we were a pretty fit class and we were pretty disciplined. Like we had a good group of officers that were coming from all professional backgrounds. We didn't have anybody that was like 20 year old, you know, police foundations, whatever. So um, it was three weeks of that. And then you go to police college with every other service and some services, the smaller ones maybe didn't have any pre police college. So they just kind of show up and obviously they're a little bit behind, but you go to police college and it's 13 weeks. Like I said, so you have four classes a day. Uh, they're all, I think an hour and 15 minutes. Um, they're pretty strict there in terms of like your uniform being on time, obviously, um, kind of when you walk in the halls, you have to walk on a certain side of the hallway and you have to carry your duty bag and your non-weapon arms. So just like little nuances like that, um, that I can appreciate. They would do room inspections. The girl inspections were not nearly as strict as the guy inspections. Um, but they'd come in and sometimes they would, you know, run their hand across the top of your windowsill to make sure that you're dusting. And I mean, well, these are like crappy, crappy little dorm rooms. So wait, wait a minute. I have a question for you. So you said the female inspections were not as rigorous as the men. Correct. Yeah. They like the, cause the female, um, the female, uh, instructors would come check our rooms and you're like, they come, you're staying in these kind of, they call them pods, but it's basically like a big common area and then 10 rooms off of the common area. So you're standing at the front door of your little room and, uh, they just come in make sure your bed has to be made properly. So a lot of us left our bed made from day one and slept on top of the sheets with the sleeping bag. <laughs> Cause they like the hospital corners and I could not do it to save my life. So I was like, I'm not, I'm just going to be, I'm going to be smart. I'm not going to work hard. I'm going to work smart and just slept with a blanket. Um, and then, yeah, your room just had to be tied. So they had on your desk and the room just had a twin bed, a desk, a mirror and a little closet. So on your desk, they had a picture of how your room should look. So you had to be consistent with that every day. Um, and they would threaten you with like negative documentation. If you, um, contravene anything that they said but i mean like the the female instructors that would come in they were pretty chill like we heard some pretty horror stories from the guys about you know not cleaning properly but i feel like that's just pretty typical (laughs) between men and women for the most part did did they did the 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 drill instructors did they get in your face and yell at you and stuff not really um we had so like we had different classes through the day like you had a different schedule um they had they broke up the intake into maybe 20 classes of 30 or 18 classes of 30 so you're matched up with all different uh police services which is kind of cool because you get to meet people from other services and network um but you would have everything from like you know uh criminal law uh, or federal law um provincial law um which is all obviously learning about laws um and you're just kind of sitting at a table reading or listening to them talk. And then you would have like, um, defensive tactics, um, police vehicle operation, obviously shooting, um, different fitness stuff. So that, that was fun. Like that kind of stuff was fun. But again, like you're going, if you're going from, you know, your fed law class to defensive tactics, you have to run back to your room, get changed into your DT clothes. Like it was, so there's a lot of running around. So you really have to be good at kind of managing what you're doing, where you're going. Um, cause being late, like was not acceptable. And, the um the kind of the the head guy that would run that ran the police college would uh walk around the hallways kind of between classes to make sure that like no one was running late um 
he always made sure like your, obviously your stuff had to be tucked in, your uniform had to look good. Um, but it, it was, it was not that strict. You just had to pretty much follow the rules and you were fine. So did, uh, so, so you said they're kind of strict. I'm just kind of curious what, what kind of, uh, discipline did they do if, if your room wasn't up to date or you were late to class or something like that? There's negative documentation. It would go to your service. So your service would find out and, um, it's not a good look on you to have your service find out that you're not representing them well. So I think just kind mm-hmm. of that accountability was enough for people to be like, okay, I'm going to keep myself in order. But I mean, you'd have people, we, I had a guy in my class that, uh, he fell asleep every class, every single class we were what? in, he'd be doing, doing the head nod every, and I'm like, Oh, this has like, if they tell his service, like, but I don't know if they did or not. He, I'm, I'm telling you this guy fell asleep every class. I couldn't believe it. I don't know how, he didn't just go to bed earlier. I don't, the other thing too, that's funny. And I did this a lot. Um, they told us right from the go. They're like, if you're tired, if you feel like you're going to fall asleep, stand at the back of the class. It's not frowned mm-hmm. upon. There's some days where there's like 10 of us standing back there because we couldn't sit down. And now it's, it's kind of translated into like my real life where like, if I'm on a course or something for work, I'm like, Oh my God, like, I don't want to stand at the back, but like, I feel like I need to like <laughs> being on patrol makes you so antsy and so not used to sitting. I'm on, I'm on a course for work right now. Actually, that was why my kind of schedule got a little bit mixed up, but, uh, it's eight to four every day. And I'm uh, my friend, everyone in my life is making fun of me because I'm complaining about this eight to four. Cause I'm like, I'm not made for eight to four anymore. No. This is five days in a row. This is ridiculous. I have two days on the mm-hmm. weekend to get all my stuff done. I have to go to the grocery store on a Saturday. It's crazy. So I, <laughs> I really can't wait to get back to my patrol schedule. You know, one thing I want to mention to the listeners in the states that don't know this, if I'm not mistaken, so you have cities, and then your provinces are equivalent to our states. That's correct. Okay, because um, you say provincial law, and you say some of the provinces and things like that. Uh, uh, so the academy. So what was your physical training like? Was your physical training was it hard? Was it? I mean, did you really have to tell me about your physical training? No, it was, it was fun. Like we would have, um, I guess, I think it was just called fitness class. Um, maybe two or three times a week. And it was everything from like, they'd have, you'd have circuits. Maybe you'd go for like, they'd have you running. Um, I, yeah, I wouldn't say it was difficult. You did it. Some people struggle with the swimming part, which was kind of funny. I, I helped a couple of buddies. Yeah. I had to, there were a few of us that were helping teach some of the, uh, some of the uh, recruits how to swim cause they didn't know how to swim. So um, and the swimming test wasn't very hard, but if you don't know how to swim, I, that's, it's scary. That would be scary. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess some people just don't learn how, um, but no, the physical testing was fine. And the other thing too, is like, these are generally fit people. So I think, um, if they saw a weakness, they would probably exploit it. Like I know one of our more recent classes that got hired, um, maybe a year ago, um, I think they all failed the pin test because our, when you, in your pre police college with your service, at least with my service, they, would run us through the pen test a couple of times to keep getting our scores. Cause you, like I said, it's out of a hundred and uh, the shuttle run is worth 50 points. And then the other, the pushups and stuff, I think over 10 or 20. Um, and you have to get either 75 or 80 to pass and the entire class failed. And I'm just like, in my head, I'm like, you're becoming a police officer. Like you're becoming someone that is enforcing law, potentially getting into fights, chasing bad people. Like you should be, you should be in the best shape of your life. And 
police college was nice because you, it, it helped that. Like I know me and one of my friends at police college, we got up and swam laps every morning. Um, the gym obviously was very busy. Um, but we'd get up at 5am and I mean, it's a good way to wake you up too. And we get in and swim laps for 45 minutes and then classes are done by four 30. So we go out and run. Um, and I always say, especially for females that are maybe in the process, um, and I, I, I don't mean this in a, in a, you know, discriminatory way or whatever. Cause I, I have a female that was on our shift and she's stronger than most of the dudes. But for the most part as a female, like I knew I, for myself, I wasn't going to be able to outlift anybody. I'm not out here. I'm not going to one punch someone because I'm so strong. I worked on my endurance and I, that has helped a ton with everything. Like just being fit, being healthy is such an asset on the job. Um, lifting is great, but like if that's not going to translate into being able to chase someone down, being able to withstand being in a fight, being able to even just hold someone down because they're resisting, but they're not hurting you, but they're not giving you their hands. Like you need to be able to have that stamina to outlast them because you don't have another option. So that's useful for me anyway. The um, it's interesting police college. So does, does the whole across the nation, is it all called police college? Um, I'm not sure ours, like I said, it's the Ontario police college. So for us, that's where we go. Um, so every service in Ontario, including our provincial police go to the police college. Um, our, it's interesting. Our, our provincial police, um, which I guess would be like your state police. Um, they have jurisdiction in Ontario in all the like small towns, like the town I live in is policed by the provincial police. Um, our highways for the most part are provi- uh, policed by provincial police. I get that's probably like your state troopers. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then your and then your cities are covered by municipal services like mm-hmm. regional services or city services. So it's that's how it is here too. Um, so, but because our provincial police, um, I mean, they patrol the they cover the small towns and pretty much all of northern Ontario, which is very very um, isolated. Like you're looking at like pro- it's probably comparable to maybe like how Alaska would be. Like you're just there's a ton of land and not a lot of people up there. So. Um, and Ontario is massive. Like you, you can drive 24 hours and still be in Ontario. Like it's, it's a huge province. So they, um, after finishing a police college, um, we all go back to our own services. We, my service has, I think four weeks of post police college training, um, for our provincial police do another nine weeks. So, um, a lot more like learning the ropes of how to be a provincial police officer, probably a lot more like how to handle situations on your own because your backup's not five minutes away. Your backup could be an hour away. So mm. it's a little different. Whereas, you know, in a city backups around the corner and if anything hot is coming in, everybody's going. What is a, what's a, um, a typical size of a, of a large police agency in Canada? Um, are you talking like boots on the ground or like the entire service? The entire department. Like what's a large mm. police department? I would say probably probably a few thousand officers, maybe like three or four thousand officers. Yeah, it's about that's about the same in mm-hmm. in the U.S. Yeah, I mean a lot. Yeah, and then your average, yeah. like your regional services, your average services, I would say probably like a thousand to two thousand. Yeah, that's pretty decent. That's a pretty decent yeah. size. In in yeah. in the United mm-hmm. States, we have um, municipal police, then we have sheriff's departments. And then we have state police or troopers or California has California Highway Patrol. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's similar in that sense of the different types of departments. And you work for a fairly busy agency, I'm taking it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And that's always kind of fun. One thing I, d- I don't want to skip over is, can you tell us what happened to the two officers that uh, were, they, did they both die recently in last week? And then, uh, yeah, in Edmonton. What happened with um, that? They were, was that Edmonton? I, I, I hate that these are all blending. Um, yeah, they were responding to a, what I believe was a family domestic situation. So, I mean, just your typical, and I believe it was in an apartment building. Um, they responded and I believe were met with gunfire before they could even draw their firearms. So I don't know if bad guy knew they were coming and was waiting. Um, but I, it sounds as unfortunately as simple and quick as they got there and they got shot and both died. So it's, yeah, it's been a really heavy six months for Canadian police. I know. And it, it, I, I don't take, you know, I, I can appreciate what you guys go through in the States. And it seems like every day there's officers being shot and killed in the States. Um, like I said, the gun culture is very different up here. It it's, it's devastating and it hurts the entire country. Like we, we all feel it. Um, it's not something we're used to. We have never seen anything like this, um, in policing in this country. So it is scary. And I think, and hope it's going to change how we approach calls. And I think it, my hope is that it's going to lead to maybe the public starting to understand kind of how dangerous the job is. Like we don't approach traffic stops with our guns out. I don't know if you guys do. I don't know if that's just a TV thing, but um, it's going to get to that point because we got to go home at the end of our shift. We all say that. um, And we very much mean it. And it's just so scary what's happening now. I mean, we, the thing too up here is that because firearms, I mean, legal firearms, is not our concern. Our um, prime minister keeps taking away the rights of the people who follow the rules. Mm. Um, and it doesn't change like the illegal amount of firearms that are here. So it's, yeah. it doesn't change anything for us. Right. Right. I, I, I don't so know. Do you guys get quite a, go ahead. Go ahead, Ken. No, good. Oh, I'm just wondering, do you guys get quite a bit of firearms training then um, at your service? Yeah. I mean, probably not nearly as much as you guys, but I mean, we shoot, um, we have the opportunity to go to our firearms range, um, probably anytime we want. Um, I got to go a couple weeks ago, which was really fun. And we, you know, our, our firearms officers are fantastic at coming up with different, different drills and even just little competitions to get the, you know, the stress levels up and the adrenaline going. Um, I don't think you could ever do enough shooting. Um, but again, it comes down to like, we've got range time on a day shift, but Hey, there's, you know, 25 calls pending and you don't have time to go. So the priority it's when it should be like, Hey, public, you, your little neighbor dispute can wait. Our officers need to practice shooting because they're going to get, they're getting shot at now. So, um, mm-hmm. I would, I would say there, you, there should always be more, but yeah, it's, it's, I would say it, it's pretty adequate. Okay. Yeah. In the States, um, you know, the news media will always say police officers were shot on a routine traffic stop. And the police officers will always say there's no such thing as a routine traffic uh, stop. And so depending no, okay. on when during during the daytime, obviously, it's a little different. But at nighttime, when it's dark and you're 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 walking up on a car and a lot of times the cops, they do what was uh, called pretextual stops where you see a broken tail light, which gives you the, the yeah. right to stop someone, but you kind of feel that there's something else going on. And so you, you approach those with caution, but in, uh, in, in, in the United States, we, 
even though we go uh, at times where it's week after week after week, cops getting shot, cops getting murdered, and we never get used to it. We never get used to it. And you can cry all day long to politicians and, and liberal politicians, progressive progressive um, district attorneys and prosecutors that go, no bail, no bail, and all these people keep getting out. It's a revolving door, and yet the cops are still getting killed. So we don't I, – I don't think I will ever get used to it, uh, a police officer getting shot. And it's really aggravating. But I would imagine because we are not even – as much as we see it here in the States, we are not, um, we're not numb to it. And so I imagine in, in Canada, when it happens, it's got to be a real jolt to the system because in the United States, when you see a headline, police officers killed two police officers killed, we, uh, what we do is we just kind of bow our head and go (sighs) again. But for you, it's like, this is really not the usual thing, right? I mean, but lately I feel like I've been reading in Canadian news that there's a lot more going on. We just had an, uh, last week, a, uh, a Quebec police officer. She was a Sergeant on for 20 years and uh, got stabbed to death on the job. Um, that was just last week. So again, and it's, it's, it's gutting. And I, I mean, I think as police officers, we have, we get really good at compartmentalizing and kind of shelving our emotions, but I hate it because I know the, first thing that my mom's going to say when I talk to her is she's going to start crying about this police officer that died and she worries about me. And that's what, that's what the public doesn't understand. Like we have families, like I've got a dog that I have to come home to. Like there are people that would be devastated if something happened to us on the job and people that worry about us every single day. It's, Mm -hmm. it's very, very sad, but to go back to the traffic stop thing, like traffic stops and you're right. You do get that feeling. I remember once, um, it was, I think probably three or four o'clock in the morning and, uh, I was just sitting in a, in a school parking lot that is kind of adjacent to a four-way stop that I'll set at if I want to pull someone over. Um, and it's, uh, it's a good area with the, with the school there. So you always want to make sure that you're visible, but it was in the middle of the night and I was just kind of parked there. And this black SUV just goes ripping through the stop sign. Do, like doesn't even slow down. Brakes didn't even, didn't even uh, light up and turns left onto this, uh, onto the street. So I get behind him and I've got my lights on probably almost for a kilometer. So almost, you know, almost a thousand yards, I've got my lights on and he's not stopping. So I'm, I'm on the radio. I'm saying, Hey, I'm trying to pull over this car. I'm going this direction. Is there anybody in the area that can come with me? Could like, you know, can slide by. So I finally get him to stop. I hit the sirens and, uh, I'm, I get behind him and his car, it's all black and all the windows are tinted. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm about to get into. And what made it worse is that when I ran the plate, it came back to like someone that doesn't have history so then i'm like is this thing stolen and not reported yet because you're like nobody who doesn't have a history drives like that right um so i obviously with fear of him maybe getting out of the car running or driving off i get out of my car right away and go up to the driver's seat and i'm you know you get that pit in your stomach like this isn't good um and i go up to the the window and uh he rolls it down and he's got this smug look on his face. And I said, Hey man, like I was just behind you for a kilometer with lights on. What are you doing? And he laughs and he goes, Oh, I'm a cop. Sorry. I just got off night shift. I was like, are you kidding me, man? I said, do you know how it feels? So he, I said, I said, I'm sorry. Like, this is awkward, but like, I, I need to see your badge. 
Cause I just, I was like, I, so I called my sergeant cause I was like, I, this, I'm uncomfortable with this situation. I get it. You just came off nights, but like, you can't do that to another officer. That's a disgusting mm-hmm. feeling. Like you're just so on edge and, uh, he was very smug. I really, I didn't like that. Oh yeah. It's very frightening. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, it's a yeah. put you on edge where you, yeah, and it, it pisses you off when people do stuff like that. Because you well, that, that's what that's why people hate police. And I'm like, you're not helping our cause, man. Like, we want people to like us. You want I'm very respectful when I'm out in public. I don't want people to say, oh, there's another typical cop. But I'm like, you just undid so much work for us that we are trying to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's uh, it's a uh, that's that's tough though. But but um, I mean, uh, I hope you guys don't go in the same direction that the United States does. I mean, there's, there's over 300 million people in the States and there's a lot of, there's between 300, uh, between 300 and 400 million firearms in the United States. And you cannot put the toothpaste back in the tube, you know, they're out there. That's, that's the thing. Like we, we always talk about it up here. We're like, how are the States ever going to figure it out? And honestly, I like, cause I was, we were, I was talking to my parents about that, the Nashville shooting, which those officers did a phenomenal job. Oh, yeah. um, but I say like, mm-hmm. you're at the point where you got to, you almost, I hate to say it, but you got to like fight fire with fire at this point. You're not taking guns away. You're yep. just, you're not, I know that that would be the mm-hmm. answer, but it's too far gone. Like you said, the toothpaste is out of the bottle. You can't yep. undo it. Whatever, um, you know, whatever your amendments say, like you just, you can't undo it. So, yep. you know, get, get, you know, war vets or retired cops sitting at the front doors of schools with their guns. Why not? You know, get, Mm -hmm. what else can you do? There's, there's no answer. Those like kids deserve so much better that kids shouldn't be somewhere that they don't feel safe. That's so scary. I put a post up on, uh, on um, Instagram. I think it was, uh, might've been yesterday, but it was, it was in response to like the city of Los Angeles, they have a BLM chapter. Their goal at that BLM chapter in LA is to defund the LAPD by 95%. So what is that? What are they really saying? They want to abolish the police. And, and my, the post that I put up yesterday said, what if you, and there were, there's agencies around school districts around the United States that defunded having school resource officers in their schools. And oh, I said, us too. We don't have them in schools anymore. What happens? What happens when Nashville defunds the police and there's nobody to respond to that school? What happens then? That's the thing. They've taken officers out of our schools too. And I'm like, okay, let's just play worst case scenario. There was a school shooting. Do you think I know the layout of the local high school? No. And now I can't even get to know it because they don't want me in the school. Yeah. So I'm supposed to go in there and clear school where there's a, a shooter, an active shooter, where, you know, you think, oh, you hear the gunfire, go towards it. Hallways echo. There's lockers. There's classrooms. You don't know where it's coming from. Um, but yeah, they've done the same thing. If they want to if they want to abolish 95% of the police, what 5% do they think is going to want to work there? Right. Yeah. The and 5% it, they want to work there. Yeah. Oh my God. That's insane. Why don't you, yep. then maybe that, maybe that chapter should just become police officers. Then they can, <laughs> they can self-govern. And you guys, I think you guys are very fortunate because, because Donovan and I know this all too well, the hiring process you have, you guys still have a super rigorous hiring process and Donovan and I, we could talk every week and go, oh, you're not going to believe this, what happened in the city of Los Angeles. They're trying to lower the standards 
for people to get in. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, you don't need to lower the standards. You need to have the same quality of police officers that will always do the right thing. You know, that 99.9% that does not get in the news, the ones that do the right thing. Yeah. And if you lower the standards, that's not going to happen. So kudos to you guys out there for still having some really rigorous standards. Mm-hmm. But we're just not getting the applicants now. So that's no. the problem, right? Like, which, so, I mean, yep. it's, it's, yeah, you, you never want to lower that bar because I don't want them to, I don't want to work with someone that they've lowered the bar for. I don't want that no. person backing me on a call. I don't want that person responsible for my life. Um, but we are just, we're so short. We're all picking up OT on our days off. And it's it, like, and that's the thing too. It's funny this year. Like we talk about it on our shift, like it's March, well, April now, and we're all working a ton of OT. It's not even summer yet. Right. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's, it's the burnout. And I always tell these new guys that come in, I'm like, you're going to want the OT. You're going to want all the OT. You're going to want all the shifts when you're new. You're just so gung ho. I said, you have to slow down. You're going to burn yourself out and you're going to hate this job. And you don't want to be at that point. And I, mm-hmm. and you know, we talked earlier about the $40,000 signing bonus. I'm like, I'll blow through that $40,000 and then you're going to burn me out. We interviewed a, yeah. uh, uh, a, um, what was an LA County Sheriff's deputy, Los Angeles County Sheriff's deputy. And he, he went to a smaller municipal agency because he got tired of working eight hours. And then they go, Hey, uh, we need you to work another eight hours. He got tired of working 16 hour shifts. He said, screw this. And he went to this other agency that where he didn't, they didn't burn him out. You know, that they, Mm -hmm. people like working there. So they're not shorthanded, but I, I can't imagine what you guys are going through. And Donovan, I, you know what? I I'm thankful that you're not in the field anymore because it's just it's just not a, a great environment. But what I love about our candidates, the ones that listen to this podcast, the ones that are going to listen to your episode, M, are the people people who listen to this podcast are called to be police. They want to mm-hmm. be. Poli- you cannot discourage them. I talk to them every week. You can't discourage them. Yeah. And that's the attitude you have to have. Cause I, like I said, I got very lucky in my journey, but I was hired with officers that had been at the process for three, four years. And I'm like, those are the officers you want. Those are the ones that, cause a lot of the time when you get rejected at a certain point in the process, they make you wait six months. They make you make, make you wait 10 months. And it's like, these people continue to apply. It's incredible. Like good for them. That that persistence mm-hmm. and determination should tell the recruiter something alone, you know, yeah. in itself. Yeah. So, and they should really look at those people. You know, one of the one of the interesting things because Donovan and I live in in Washington State, and Washington State's kind of goofy. Donovan, you you know a little bit more about this. You've been out, you've been out here longer than I have. But Washington State, well, they'll look at California, and California is one of those liberal bastions of of the United States, and and California will do something completely stupid with related to police. And Washington State will go, oh, let's do what California did, and they'll do it. And then, wow. and then, so I'm thinking that I'm wondering if the United States people in Canada who run the show, they go, oh, look what the United States is doing. Let's let's defund the cops or something. <laughs> is that the way it works? Mm-hmm. Or? Well, I don't know. Like our our federal government right now is liberal, um, and not. I mean, our, our prime minister is a Muppet. Like we, it's, it's a joke, um, right now. And it's very frustrating for most, most people are frustrated with him. Like I, his, his, uh, satisfaction rate has to be super low right now. And I, I don't feel bad saying that. Um, 
I don't think we'll ever get to the point of defunding police. Like I said, they, the school, it was a school board decision to not have us in the schools. Um, it's very frustrating. Cause like I said, then these school calls, you know, the fights, the threats, the, all those calls come to patrol. And it's like, Hey, I don't have the time to do the follow-up on this that it deserves because these are students. These are, these are important calls. These are kids, you know, trying to ruin other kids' lives, kids bullying, kids taking things too far. Those deserve an officer that, knows the kids has their, their finger on the pulse of the school knows the teachers. Um, so it's, it's very challenging now. And there were a lot of things that back when we had school resource officers were dealt with in-house by the schools. So, you know, kids weren't having to deal with getting maybe being held criminally responsible at 15 years old or 16 years old because they made a mistake. Um, things were handled, I think in a better way. Um, whereas now, like, I don't know who this, you know, this kid is, but they're committing an offense. I'm going to do what I have to do. Um, so Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's frustrating in that regard. So I don't know. I, I, I don't see us ever getting defunded. I think we're, I've never, I've never felt any issue in terms of resources other than just meeting more people. That's really all it is. Yeah. I hope you guys, have you guys seen a trend of, have you seen a trend of the school board starting to bring, the SROs back because that's what we're starting to see here is all of a sudden schools are like, Oh boy, I guess we really do need them. Yeah. Um, I've seen it. I've seen it with the more so with the provincial police. Um, like I'll, I'll just follow some of them on social media and I'll see like, Oh, officer so-and-so stop by today. Um, but I don't know if they'll ever have us back fully in the schools. I know some are a lot more welcoming to our presence. We've had some where we'll maybe park in their parking lot over their lunch break just to kind of fly the flag to say like hey kids don't be dumb um and mm-hmm. a principal or a teacher will come out and say like can you not be here and we're like okay then don't call us when <laughs> when you need us <laughs> right yeah so that's mm-hmm. frustrating but i i think they are becoming more tolerant especially because um we've seen a, an, a scary increase in violence in the schools um a lot of knife violence um we had a kind of school shooting call it ended up being a like a almost like a um a starter pistol that you would use like in a in a race like mm-hmm. a blank it got blanks but mm-hmm. the, kid, the kids didn't know that and the kids were terrified we had to at the time we didn't know either um we got to the school and there were just um shell cases on the ground and we're like oh okay this is real and then it amps everything up and we're having to um, escort kids out from the portables into the school and you know half these kids are crying and we've got our guns out and I'm like this is traumatizing for these kids like these are Canadian kids they don't these kids aren't raised with firearms in the house like it, it is not the states in that regard um, it's very scary for them we've got guys with long guns out I've got my you know my my pistol out and I'm shepherding these kids into the school into the safe brick area and it's like it's terrifying for them. So we're certainly seeing an uprise in that. So I'm, I'm hoping that eventually the schools are going to realize that like they made a mistake with that. I don't know if it was the same with you guys, but they removed us because we intimidated a small population. Mm-hmm. So yep. that is the stupidest yep, that's thing. Exactly why. I, 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 when yeah, I see I, that in the news, they go, um, we asked you to leave Starbucks cause, um, cause we don't feel comfortable with you here with your gun. <laughs> you guys are dumb. Yeah, did you hear the one story that made it big here? There was a ice cream shop up in Seattle that um right. uh, a lot of officers would stop by on foot patrol and then they asked them uh not to stop by if they had guns. They could stop by if they didn't have guns, but if they had guns they they shouldn't be in the store. I don't like your ice what, cream. No, what's 
yeah what's your what's your state like are you guys a concealed carry are you do you guys have any like what are your firearm laws in washington yep we we have open carry in the state but then we also have oh. concealed carry permits so if you're open carrying it's uh businesses can can put a restriction on it but for law enforcement we don't have those restrictions but a business apparently some some of the employees felt triggered um mm-hmm. by the officers walking in with their guns so they asked them but not you to guys come can, in if they had but- their guns but they can have customers or are they restricting those customers to them? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. They, okay, I think their yeah, business is posted no guns allowed. So is that, is that a thing then in open carry States where some businesses will say like, we don't want people in here with guns. Yep. Okay. Yeah. That makes that, yeah. That's fair. I, I can understand. I mean, I don't see it too often. I've seen, I've seen open carry. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think open carry is probably one of the dumbest things you can do you know broadcasting yeah, like that. hey here's my gun it's on this side see my holster this is how you take my gun out from me i think that's kind yeah. of dumb but but donovan was saying that if you want to carry a concealed like just carry a concealed or in your car you have to have a uh what's it called a, a cpl a concealed pistol license yeah con- concealed pistol license yeah yeah and so but if you have open carry you just have to legally own your gun but you don't need anything else no you don't need a don't license need a, don't need a license nothing you just carry a gun <laughs> it's like the wild west but just uh, give them all uh, guns just give everybody a gun wow. and, the, and the and yeah well and the thing is though that you don't hear a lot of stories where where good guys just all of a sudden went off and started shooting people it's usually no, somebody no, bad you, you don't so. Yeah, or people that go because didn't I think they said that that Nashville shooter she got those guns that day or something. Well, she didn't get them that day. Most likely, is there a ten day? Is there a ten day hold? What what is it uh, federally? I I don't. Uh, federal for long guns is you can do, you can do a background check and get it right away. Um, but most states now I think are going to a ten day holding yet on the on the long guns as well. Handguns is ten wow. days. In Washington State, okay, it's ten wow. days for for long guns, no matter mm-hmm. what, right? And then is it ten days, or unless the the background doesn't come back within ten days, you can get it for a for a pistol. Yeah, pistols are ten days. I don't I don't know if they went to ten days on long guns yet. As I, I, I didn't follow that one yet. I think it is ten days. It's it's a is ten it? day, no matter like like for a long gun in Washington State, your background can come back in two days, but you still have to wait ten days. And I think mm-hmm. in pistols, you, as soon as your background comes back from the local sheriff, you can get your gun. And if it doesn't come back in ten days, they still give you your gun. So, yep. uh, wow, yeah, it's wow. interesting. But this this Nashville shooter, now you mentioned it. Uh, she had, uh, she was under the care of a, I don't know what kind of, it was a psychiatrist or something, but she was on medication for emotional, something emotional. I don't know what it was, but, but um, she had issues already. And so she shouldn't have had guns. And she hid the fact that she even kept one of her guns from her, or she kept the guns from her parents. Uh, but that's a big, long story too. But I hope, mm-hmm. I hope Canada never, never, ever defunds the police in Canada. I can tell you right now, if they ever talk about that, M, tell them that that's the worst thing they could possibly do. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that they would. Um, I, yeah, I don't see that happening. Um, I just, I fear that the violence and these shootings are going to get worse before we finally realize that something needs to happen. Cause like I said, our, you know, our, with how our government is, um, our government is very focused on pleasing these little loud groups that 
are, you know, offended by everything um, and not realizing the work that police do every day. You know, if, if we had, if these, the government officials that, you know, support the idea of defunding the police, I wish that they didn't have to go and get, you know, police security when they go places and escorts and things like that. Like we had the, uh, we had the Ottawa, um, our capitals, our nation's capital city, the Ottawa um, freedom rallies last year. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if you saw it on the news. It was, it was a lot. It was huge for our country. Um, yeah. But I was like, they, they deployed a ton of us um, from all different services to go to Ottawa. Um, I got to go, which is pretty cool, but uh, it's just interesting um, because, you know, the prime minister's city is taken over by, you know, these freedom, these truckers and, uh, he calls in police and pays millions of tax dollars to have police come protect him when he's mm-hmm. really, I don't think he's pro police. So it was, it was an interesting time. Yeah. He's an interesting person to say the least. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he is. Um, we're going to, we're going to go ahead and close out, but I really appreciate you being here because you bring a lot uh, to the show. I don't think there's that. I don't think there's that many differences in in police work, the 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 American police officers mostly handcuffed in how, what they can do and and all those types of things. And I think that Canada is probably similar. So the services are probably the same, and your backgrounds appear to be about the same. Um, so for our Canadian listeners, you know what? If you have a question for M, send them to me. I will I will get her the question. I'll have her answer and get back to me, and I will get back to you about Canadian background, police service, all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, I'd be happy to help. Yeah, definitely. Because I hear from Canadian, I, I I do Canadian consultations because they're they're across the board. The the backgrounds are basically the same. I didn't know Donovan. I did not know that they were so hardcore in their background process. Right. (laughs) That's crazy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The one where you, yeah, it's a lot. The one where you go to the interview and you go, here's a question. Okay. Come back when we call you and then here's five right. times that's nuts. every every yeah every officer that you see on the road will have a story about their eci interview it's 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 fresh hell <laughs> it sucks but it's it's a good story for afterwards um but yeah it's it's a lot it's something that you definitely want to prepare for uh, the, the probably the, it's only a good story if you get hired though right <laughs> yeah but yeah if you're, yeah you don't want to tell that story if you're not hired <laughs> the candidates probably come in and question one they're like all and then by the time the fifth question like uh, uh yeah you know it's yeah. like they're, yeah, you're, mm-hmm. you're sweating and you're like why am i even here just let me leave mm-hmm. so in in closing um and this is for for our candidates in Canada and the United States in the, in the time of, of 2023, 2020, George Floyd, all these things that have been happening in police work. What would you say to candidates who still want to become police officers? What kind of encouragement do you give them uh, when they hear people all the time and people are telling them, you're an idiot. There's no way anybody wants to be a police officer. What would you say to those people who still want to join the the force? I would just tell them just to always focus on why they want to do it. Um, I, you know, as much as everything that's happening now, it's to me still the best job in the world. Um, you can't always, sometimes you just have to focus on the little, the little wins that you have, the little interactions with people and every officer's got, you know, little ones in their memory bank that they really did impact someone. Um, a lot of it, you feel like you don't, a lot of it, it's the same thing every day you're dealing with, 
people who can't cope with their own, their own issues, but really police officers, as much as we are there to enforce the law, we're also just problem solvers for people, right? People call us because they can't solve their own problems. Um, so that right off the hop puts them in a different, um, you know, a different category than people who kind of go about their days and deal with their own problems. So I would say to that person, just continue, you know, continue to work at it. And, um, it is a fantastic job. And despite all the negativity, there are a ton of police officers that love what they do. I mean, look at you guys, right? Like there's, there's people that just love policing and people that support policing and people that continue to work in the job long after they can retire because they just, they love the job. They live it, they breathe it. Um, so I would just say if it's something that they feel called to do, they should absolutely do it. So that's awesome. I appreciate you yeah. being here. We've been waiting a long time for you, M, to show up. <laughs> and, That's uh, so nice. <laughs> when I got when I heard you on on uh, Things Police, I'm like, I got such a kick out of that out of that episode <laughs> that I said we got to have M on the on the podcast. And uh, so, thank you again for being here. And Donovan, mm-hmm. uh, you're amazing. Um, Donovan and I, he doesn't know this, but Donovan and I are going to do a YouTube live about the Nashville shooting and Donovan. Oh, no. All right. Yeah. We're going to go, we do YouTube lives as well. And uh, the cool thing about YouTube lives for us is they are literally live because I live out in the country where we're still on 1990s DSL. So the only way I can actually upload a video to YouTube is if I could do it live. And then what? Sometimes wow. it, whatever we say, it gets published. <laughs> There's no editing, mm-hmm. so uh, so we're gonna do a, a live. That'll be a blast. And uh, you guys, I hope you have a good day. And we're gonna be back in a couple weeks. Thanks for listening to the Police Applicant Podcast. We are the premier police background prep site in the U.S. and Canada. For more information on scheduling your police background consultation, go to policebackground.net. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes.